This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is value. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Good afternoon and welcome to Word and Praise Radio featuring the sermons from the pulpit of Redeemer Church of Clarkston. I'm Pastor Paul Edwards. Just a little more than two years old, Redeemer Church is the only Reformed Baptist church in Clarkston, Michigan. We meet Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Sashabal Middle School on Maybe Road between Sashabal Road and Clintonville Road in Clarkston. Our worship services last about 75 minutes. They include public prayer and scripture reading, historic and contemporary hymns, and relevant messages messages from God's Word, just like the ones you're hearing every Sunday right here on Faith Talk 1500. If you're looking for a church where you can broaden your understanding of God's Word, deepen your relationships with God's people, and be a part of reaching a community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I invite you to join us in person for one of our Sunday services. We're committed to the historic Christian faith. Redeemer also has a full Bible teaching time for your elementary age children. You can learn more about our church, including directions and service times, at Redeemer. Clarkston.com. How do we live out our faith in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity? This was the very question the first century Christians faced, and Peter addressed it with practical answers in his first epistle. So I invite you to get your Bible and join the congregation of Redeemer Church of Clarkston in the first epistle of Peter as we examine how to live life together in a hostile culture. We're returning uh, this Lord's Day right back to where we were last Lord's Day in verse number 7 of chapter 4, where Peter, writing to these first century persecuted Christians, speaks to them and to us and says, The end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And you will notice that last week, or you will remember that last week we pointed out that what Peter is advocating here uh, is that we take hold of God and that we take hold of one another. This is what uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 uh, is all about. How do we survive as Christians in a hostile culture? Number one, we take hold of God. That's verse 7. And and then verses 8, 9, 10, and 11 is a taking hold of one another. And we only got through two-thirds of the, of, of the first point last week, and that is this notion of taking hold of God. And what, is it, what does it mean to take hold of God? And we said last Sunday that there are two things involved in taking hold of God. Number one, a mind that is not controlled by fleshly passions, but totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's the words sober and watch in verse number seven. Uh, and then secondly, the second part of uh, the second thing involved in taking hold of God is an earnest seeking for God in prayer. Watch unto prayer at the end of verse number seven. Before we can take hold of God, 
We must first be released from our own passions. We must first let go of ourselves. The word sober in verse number 7 is a passive word that simply means the condition of your passions in a state of control. To be sober means that your passions are in control. Watching, on the other hand, while it's closely related to the word sober, is active. And it, it is the actions that we engage in to keep our minds in a state, or our passions rather, in a, in a state of control. So we are to be sober, and when we find ourselves not being sober, we are to begin to watch. Matter of fact, we're always to be watching so as not to slide out of uh, this, this uh, sober state. And from that we said that before we can take hold of God in prayer, we must first let go of the passions of the flesh and of the world. Whenever bad news comes to us, it is our first reaction and our natural reaction to respond from the flesh. Peter here is saying we have to have our passions under control. And the way we get our passions under control is by the power of the Holy Spirit to change our minds from a darkened mind to an enlightened mind. And we spent all of our time last Lord's Day dealing with that. A darkened mind evidences itself in wicked works and in the lusts of the flesh. An enlightened mind manifests itself in holy living, good conversation, conversation being an old English word that doesn't mean talk, it means lifestyle, a good lifestyle, a generous lifestyle, a a, a benevolent lifestyle, because it is the Holy Spirit that's working in us to take our darkened mind and enlighten it and to control our passion. So we said, number one last week, that a dispassionate mind is a formerly darkened mind which has been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. So what what do I mean by dispassionate? Dispassionate means without passion. Not letting your passions rule your mind to the point that it is your passions that are making decisions for you. Never make a decision out of your passions. Those of us that are believers that have the Holy Spirit must make decisions, not like the unbelieving Gentiles in 1 Peter 4.3, but as those who, have been, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, 1 Peter 1.18, uh, and have a new mind given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. An enlightened mind, we saw from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, is a mind that is focused on hope, glory, and resurrection. We have hope, the hope of His calling, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. We have the hope of His calling, the exceeding greatness of His power, and the glory of His resurrection, or or the glory of His inheritance. You have the hope of His calling, the glory of the inheritance that waits for us, and the exceeding greatness of His power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. All of that is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. The mind that is enlightened, the formerly darkened mind that is now under the control of the Holy Spirit, is a mind that is characterized by hopefulness and holiness. 
hopefulness and holiness. A darkened mind can only be illuminated by the gospel, the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. And when the gospel does its work, your formerly darkened mind becomes enlightened. This is what I mean by a dispassionate mind, a mind that is freed from the passions, not making decisions based on your passions. Secondly, a dispassionate mind is on defense against two enemies of your soul. And this is where we ended last week. What are the two enemies of your soul? Well, the first one is your own flesh. This is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Fleshly lust does not refer, as we might limit it, to sexual temptation or lasciviousness. It's not limited to that kind of behavior. Fleshly lust is any desire that you have that's out of the control of the Holy Spirit. That's a fleshly lust. Any desire you have that is outside of the control of the Holy Spirit. And Peter here says, in the context of responding to unjust treatment, that's when he says, don't respond from your fleshly lusts. Don't respond with passion that is outside the control of the Holy Spirit. That's all that means abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against what? Your soul. Your lusts are your number one enemy. You say, well, I thought the devil was my number one enemy. No, your lust is your number one enemy. James said this, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Now, the devil uses your lusts, but it is your lusts that are your number one enemy. And so we have to bring our lusts under the power and control of the Holy Spirit. He says in chapter 1 and verse 14, Not fashioning yourselves according to your former lusts in your ignorance. Don't act according to your fleshly lusts the way you did before you knew the Lord Jesus Christ. And he then points to Jesus as the appropriate way not to respond with our passions. In chapter 2, verses 22 through 23, he says, When Jesus was treated unjustly, in verse number 22, he didn't sin. He didn't didn't cave in with guile. He, He didn't become a hypocrite and just go along to get along. When he was reviled, he didn't revile back. When he when he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he committed himself to the one who judges righteously. The evidence of a mind under the of passions under the control of the Holy Spirit is your willingness to commit yourself to God and say, Yes, Lord, I don't understand why I'm going through this difficulty. I don't understand why I'm being treated unjustly. I don't know why this isn't all working right now in a way that I can see that will ultimately be for my good. But I'm going to commit myself to you. Whate'er my God ordains is right. His holy will abideth. I'm I'm just going to submit myself to, uh, to your holy will will. That, that works itself out in our lives. The example of Jesus works itself out in chapter 3 and verse 9, where we don't render evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that we're called to suffer. So the first enemy, 
you have is your passions uncontrolled. The second enemy is chapter 4 and verse 8, which is a very familiar verse. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You have an adversary. He's the devil. He will use your uncontrolled lusts against you as a weapon. He's the accuser of the brethren. His goal is to wear out the saints. And his weapon is your own passions uncontrolled by the Holy Spirit. This is why it's important that we have a dispassionate mind. Our minds must be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. And our darkened mind that produces the lust of the flesh, that produces lasciviousness, must be brought under the control of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God so that we can do those things that are pleasing to God. And then finally, point number three, a dispassionate mind produces a life of hope and holiness. This is exactly what Peter is getting at in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 7 at the beginning of the verse when he says, the end of all things is at hand. Go back two or three weeks ago on a Sunday morning, and we spent all of our time on that phrase, and I said to you, this is not an eschatological statement. And I say eschatological so that you'll think I'm really smart and went to seminary and it sounds really smart. It just means the doctrine of last things. This isn't about the second coming. Peter isn't saying Jesus could come at any moment. That's not what this verse means. Because if Peter is saying Jesus could come at any moment, he got it wrong, didn't he? Because this was written in the first century. We're in the 21st century. You add all that together, 2,000 years have gone by since Peter said the end of all things is at hand. No, he doesn't have eschatology in mind at all. He doesn't have the second coming in mind at all. He doesn't mean the end is near. He means the objective of all things. The purpose of all things. What are the all things? The all things is everything that he's been talking about up until this point that they have been enduring because of their faith in Jesus Christ. The all things is Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. The all things, when he says the end of all things is at hand, he doesn't mean the end of history. He doesn't mean the end of everything that's ever gone on in history is now culminating in the end and Jesus is coming. Now look, there, will be, there is that taught in the Bible. This just isn't the verse you go to, to get it. Jesus is one day coming back. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus is coming again. And it will be, all of history will culminate in His eternal kingdom that shall never end. That's going to happen, but that's not what Peter's referring to here. The end, the teleos, the objective, the purpose, the goal of all the things you have suffered is soon to be revealed, is what Peter is saying. We sit in the dark. We just read it in 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Right now, I behold the image of Christ in His Word, and it's dim. I can't get the full picture. 
But one day, the veil will be removed, and I will be in the presence of the one who loved me and gave himself for me, and I will know him even as also I am known. Right now I know in part, then I'll know even as also I'm known. I'm looking through a glass darkly, but then face to face. I don't fully comprehend everything. Peter is saying that the end, the objective of all that you have unjustly suffered is soon to be revealed to you. We live our lives in this darkness and we say, God, why did you allow that boy to get brain cancer and die? Why, why have you allowed Gina Kell Spain's son to go through the same cancer that took his father's life? And you, you think of the things that have happened to you, the very bad things that have happened to you, that cause you, that just push you right to the edge of doubt, and you wonder, what are you doing? Peter is talking to people. He's talking to women and children who literally watched Roman soldiers come into their homes and pull forcibly their husbands out of their homes and take them either to prison or straight to execution. The all things that he's talking about are the men that were used as human torches in the gardens of Nero. Those things, those very bad things, the purpose will soon be unveiled. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. The enlightened mind, the mind that was formerly darkened, that's now been enlightened by the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, is a mind that manifests itself in hope and holiness, irregardless of the bad things that are happening. So when Peter here says at the beginning of verse 7, The end of all things is at hand. What he literally is saying is, the purpose of our suffering is becoming evident. The reason you're going through what you're going through is becoming evident. God's objective in my temporary suffering, in my hostile treatment from the culture, is eternal glory. All the things that God has purposed in my life are working for my ultimate glory, and what I have to rest in is not what I know, because I see through a glass darkly. I need to rest on His sovereign purposes. I need to place my faith in in the fact that He has a purpose that's unbeknown to me. I don't know it. It's unknown to me. But He is working, and I have to believe that with hope that produces Holiness. Look at chapter 1 and verse number 15. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. He gives us the contrast in verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in every way that you live your life. And the way that you live your life, holiness ought to be manifest, and you ought not be living according to uh, your passions. Chapter 2 and verse 12, which we quoted earlier, Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. 
a lifestyle of holiness. Chapter 3, verse number 11, verse 10 for context. He that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile, let him eschew evil and do good. A lifestyle of holiness. Chapter 3, verse 16. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Where does that come from? Where does this lifestyle of holiness come from? The end of verse 15. Be ready always to give an answer. Chapter 3, verse 15. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the what? Hope that lies within you. What is my hope? Here's my hope. My hope is 1 Peter 4, 7a. The first part of 1 Peter 4, 7a is my hope. The end of all things is at hand. It doesn't mean that the bad things in my life are coming to an end. It means that the objective that is known only to God in allowing me to suffer unjustly, to suffer everything that I've suffered, is one day going to be made perfectly clear and Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more eternal and exceeding weight of glory. Hope and holiness. My hope is that God is fulfilling His purposes in my suffering. My hope is not that God will take me out of my suffering. Now, is it wrong to pray that God would take you out of your suffering? Absolutely not. But my hope is not in that. My hope, my confident assurance, my hope isn't, well, I sure hope so. I sure hope it all works out. That's not what we're talking about. Hope is a gift that God gives to you in the midst of deep trial, deep anxiety, deep difficulty, that God is at work in my suffering. Your light affliction works for you. How is cancer working for you? How is the accident working for you? How is four or five months of what I've gone through physically. How is that working for me? It is working for me. Now, I I stand here before you today very weary in body, very frustrated, laying in the emergency room again for the third time in four months on Thursday night, just laying there, looking up at the ceiling, and wondering, what are you doing? Pushed right to the edge of doubt, and then God bringing my own sermons back to my head. The end of all things is an end. Now, God didn't speak audibly to me, but clearly I heard him say, in my good time, I'll let you know what I'm doing. In the meantime, just buckle up. Endure. Have faith. Trust that I know what I'm doing. And keep plowing through. That's what we have to do. And a mind that has been enlightened by the Holy Spirit is a mind that has hope and a life that manifests holiness. So all all those things that God has purposed in my life, whether I like them or not, is working for my 
ultimate glory. My hope, verse 21 of of chapter 1, that your hope might be in God who raised Jesus from the dead and gave Him glory. The objective of my suffering is resurrection. The thing that I have to set my heart on is not that I will get better if I'm terminally ill, although there's nothing wrong with praying that we get over that. There's nothing wrong with seeking healing. Don't misunderstand me. But even if I don't, that's not God's ultimate purpose for me. God's ultimate purpose for me is resurrection. How do I know this? If you were to ask the Apostle Paul, why did Jesus arrest you as Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus? Why did he apprehend you? What was the purpose? He says, well, I'm spending my life now seeking to apprehend that for which I was apprehended. That I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his, you know the next word, resurrection. Our hope is in nothing else than the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And because Jesus Christ is alive, nothing, nothing, nothing can harm us. I hope this message has been an encouragement and a help to you as you seek to serve Jesus in the routine of your life. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me at our website, RedeemerClarkston.com, and you can also send me a personal confidential email at paul at RedeemerClarkston.com, and I'll respond with some personal words of encouragement. Word and Praise Radio is an extension of the ministry of the church that I pastor, Redeemer Church of Clarkston, Michigan. More information about our church, like our doctrinal statement and our governing documents are available to you at our website at RedeemerClarkston.com. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen on this Lord's Day, and we invite you to tune in again next Sunday at 12.30 p.m. as we once again turn our hearts toward the Lord Jesus Christ in word and praise.